0: So, Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 17, is where we're going to be starting at tonight. We're talking about the law in, in, um, in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, just real briefly, is the, the bookend of Matthew. It's the beginning, it's the first sermon Jesus really preaches here in Matthew, and it's long. It's chapter 5, 6, and 7. And then you get the the end capstone of his earthly ministry, the Olivet Discourse, later in Matthew chapter twenty four and twenty five. Those are the bookends. And in this one, is often most people say this is the greatest sermon that's ever preached. I would have to agree that anything Jesus said is probably the greatest thing ever spoken, much less the best sermon ever preached. Amen. So here in verse number 17, the Lord gets into this and he's just gone into uh, the blessings. He's gone into the Beatitudes and understand we're taking weeks at this. I mean, we're we're walking through it. He spoke all this at the same time. Could you imagine getting all this at one time? You'd just be like, what? And, And so the Lord is going through these Beatitudes and then he says, you're the light of the world. You can't hide it. If you are who you're supposed to be, you're not going to hide it. A light's going to come out of you. Amen. The light's going to come out of you. In, in in um in what he says next though, it just kind of started them because when he tells them that they are the light of the world, the the first inclination that we're thinking he's kind of rocking their boat is because he says, "But I'm not changing what you think I'm changing." Amen. So let's get into this verse number 17. He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. And we're going to continue in. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And let's read the next two verses for our section tonight. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of the, these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what we have here is, is, is the Lord really kind of throwing down a gauntlet. And the, the way that I just I, I kind of understand this is he's saying, you know, don't think that I'm coming to destroy the law. In other words, don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you. I'm not coming to lead a rebellion against the law. Amen. Amen. That's what a lot of people think, especially whenever you get into people that are um they they try to be law observers or you know somebody like that. They believe that Jesus came and taught a rebellion against the law, but that he said, I'm not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And it's two diametrically opposed words. To destroy something is to rebel against it. It is to to annul it. It is It is to disregard it and to throw it away. Jesus, listen, he did not throw away the law. He completed and fulfilled it and nailed it to his cross on Calvary. That's the difference, and, and the working out of those two things makes all the difference in the world because the Lord is not a lawbreaker. You see, if he was a lawbreaker, he would have reason to be accused of. I love a commentary I read. Uh, John MacArthur, he said, um, he said, whenever Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We, we, we get weak sermons because we don't understand a lot, but that's a quote from Psalm 22. It, it would be like if I only had one sentence, if I only had one breath left, but I wanted to communicate to you the whole song, Amazing Grace, I would say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And you would know what I'm talking about. Well, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22 went straight to the heart of every person there. And Psalm 22 describes the crucifixion from the piercing of my hands and my feet to my heart being like wax to all of my breath it all goes my bones are out of joint it it just it you can see the bulls of bashan they're around me they're parting my my garments before me psalm 22 is a crucifixion and when he's on that cross and he says that it harkens back to that but here's another implication here's another implication Jesus was not a lawbreaker. Had he become sin, like some false teachers say, he could not have said, why have you forsaken me? Because he would have deserved to be forsaken. Think about it. This is his last breath. If he was full of sin, he could not say, why have you forsaken me? Because he should be saying, you should forsake me but the thing is is he died the death of a cursed person but he was blameless he died for sin not in sin That's why he cried out, why hast thou forsaken me? It was hearkening back to that Psalm 22, a crucifixion psalm. When he's innocent, he's dying for the guilty. He's dying the death of the guilty, but he was blameless according to the law. Now, why is that important? Because he's saying right here, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And by christ fulfilling the law he was able to die on the cross innocent a sinless sacrifice just like the lamb of God had to be without blemish on the Passover. The, those Pharisees, they had, they had people that, that examined those, those lambs and they, had a, people, they would examine every single minute detail about them. In fact, most, most teachers uh, of, of messianic things, they'll tell you that in between... In between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, there was a little small section of land where they would raise, where they would raise the Passover lambs. And it was those shepherds, it was those shepherds that got that call from that angel. Said, come worship the king. It was those shepherds that were raising those Passover lambs that got to go see the Lamb of God. Amen. And so, but, but, anyways, that, that, that they would examine the Passover lambs, and if there was any kind of blemish in them, they could not die. They could not be sacrificed for sin. And so Jesus, in the same way, he was looked over. He was examined. He was examined by Pilate. He was examined by the Pharisees. He was examined by men. He was examined by everyone. And no one could bring an accusation against him. He was blameless. And so by his fulfilling the law, he was able to go to the cross and die the death of a cursed one without himself being cursed. That's that's what we're looking at. And so him fulfilling the law here is very important. Let's look at this word. Um, and, And why is that important that he fulfilled the law? Well, it's because he's, he, in, in our faith, what we do, um, we'll see this over in Romans chapter three and chapter four, uh, there's a, a, a theological word, but it's actually a biblical word, it's in the Bible, it's, it's about imputing, imputing righteousness. You see, by faith, by faith, our sin is imputed to the Lamb of God. Just like the sin of Israel, by faith, their sin would be imputed to that Passover lamp. Well, our sin is imputed to him, and what is imputed to us is a righteousness that no one can attain, the righteousness of God in Christ. By him fulfilling the law, being God in the flesh, being deity in flesh, by him being who he was and being blameless, then there's an imputation our sin for his righteousness that's what gives us standing before god is that he lived a sinless life on our behalf amen it's not about our sinless life it's about his sinless life amen and when he gets a hold of you then you want to live like he lived when he puts his spirit in you he gives you a heart to want to do it amen And then, when the Holy Ghost gets in you, He gives you the power to do it. And so, we have here just these two things destroy simply means to erase or to dissolve, to fulfill simply means to complete, to make full. So let's look at this for a second, and, and, and then we're going to take this for a few, a few different ways. Uh, number one, when Jesus uh, says here, he said, I'm not come to destroy the law or prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. There's, two, there's a couple of things that people miss on this passage. Number one, he didn't just say law. He said law and prophets, number one. So you've got to hold both of those things. So a lot of times people get law, 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 but he said law or prophets, okay? There's both in there. Why? Well, we're gonna get into that. So first off, he said that I'm not come to destroy, but fulfill. What does it mean to fulfill? It means to complete. Whenever you get around someone who is trying to bring you back under the Old Testament law, which um, I'm here to tell you that you cannot be under it because there's no priesthood to put you under it. There is no such thing as a Levitical priesthood today, so it's not possible for you to keep the Old Testament law without the Levitical priesthood. So it's not possible. When when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the, the, the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, signifying God was forever making a way for you into the Holy of Holies. Y'all remember the Bible study we did on the temple? It's the outer court, the inner court, the the holy place, and the holy of holies. And and that holy of holies was only reserved one time a year for the high priests. And when God separated that veil, and understand it was thick, very thick. When God separated it, he signified that the way had been made to where he is, that holy of holies was representative of his presence. This is where he would meet with his people. And when he made that way, he's showing that he made that way through the death of Jesus Christ. So the word fulfill, like I said earlier, when when someone is trying to get you to go under the law, they will, because your first inclination is, okay, he fulfilled it. But when someone's trying to get you to go under the law, they'll say fulfill doesn't mean to complete it. They'll say it means to preach it. They'll say he came to preach the law, so you should be under it because he came to preach it. Well, first, first off, that's not what the word means. You know just by simple, plain English what the word fulfill means. It, 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 in its own word, it defines itself. English is simple in those ways. Fulfill means it comes to the filling to the full. Filling to the full. That's what it means. But when someone is trying to get you under the law, they say it means something different. So rather than go to different dictionaries and different things like that, we just kind of try to let the bible interpret the bible and in order to do that let me show you in matthew chapter one what the word fulfilled means so again let me let me uh well let's just go over there and look at fulfilled so the the greek word for fulfill is "playru," and i don't expect you to remember it but um if you do, it's okay. The word play the word "playru" means fulfill. Well, we find it again in Matthew chapter number 1. In Matthew chapter number 1, we have uh, these, these passages in, in verse number 21 where Jesus is, is being born. This is where God is become flesh. This is where Emmanuel is described to us. And we read in verse number 21, it says, she shall bring forth a son thou shalt call his name jesus for he shall save his people from their sins now all this was done that it might be fulfilled can you guess what that word is in the greek play same word as we read over there all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the lord of the lord by the prophet saying Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, why, why are we going there? Look at this. The, in, Isaiah, in Isaiah, this prophecy was given that there would be a, 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 a young virgin with child And she was going to bring forth a son, and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And what the Holy Ghost says right here is that that prophecy was fulfilled by Jesus. Amen? Fulfilled by Jesus. Now, do you think that anybody else is going to come along and fulfill this prophecy also? Come on. So here's the thing this means that fulfill does not mean fully preach Because if it meant fully preach that means somebody else would come along and they'd be able to do it, too But when it means fulfill that means it is completed. It's done for it is fully Filled fulfill it is fully filled. So this prophecy this prophecy is ironclad complete boom when jesus was born they said this is emmanuel this is god with us this is god in the flesh and his name's jesus that's what you're going to call him jesus because he's going to save his people that's what his name means and so you see that the the working definition from the bible about being something being fulfilled is that it's done right? It's the same thing as you do with a task. Somebody says, hey, can you go get, you know, your your spouse or whoever says, hey, go get, can you go get some milk, right? I fulfilled my job, right? I got the, I brought the milk home, honey. I fulfilled my task. It just means you did it. You completed it. That's all it means, and so when somebody tries to overcomplicate it, they bring in all kinds of weird meanings behind words, and one of the, one of the ways that you can tell when somebody's trying to pull wool over your eyes spiritually is because they redefine words unbiblically. Okay? If somebody says, "I know that's what you think it means, but that's not what it really means." That's when all the ding ding ding, you know, hold up, what all the red lights should be flashing. The Bible should always interpret the Bible. Amen. And if you need somebody else to interpret the Bible for you, you are setting yourself up for deception. You're setting yourself up For deception so when whenever somebody says well I know that that's what you think that that means but that's not what it really means okay so why are we going through that because in our in our day just like in in the day of the first church of the Galatians they were trying to bring the Galatians back under the law you remember what Paul told them? he said he said you began in the spirit you began in the spirit now why are you trying to finish in the flesh Oh, foolish Galatians. Somebody came along and bewitched them with the law. Somebody came and dangled that law. You know why the law is a dangly thing? Because you can put your hand to it. See, on faith, you have to come to the cross empty handed. Empty handed. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I stand not on my own righteousness, not on my own good works, not on my last name, not on my first name, not on my membership of my church. I don't stand on nothing but on what Christ did for me on Calvary. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The law, when someone holds on to that, it's, it is, well, I did this, and I did that, and I did this. Therefore, now you got to call me apostle. Now you got to call me prophet. Now you got to listen to me. This is it because our flesh, our flesh can, would rather hold something than to believe for something. But we're called to believe for righteousness. We're called to believe for righteousness, for salvation, for the Holy Ghost, for the whole nine yards. It's by faith that we receive anything from God. It's not of works because if it was, you would be out there tooting your own horn. Or as Paul said in Ephesians 2, you'd be out there boasting. That's why it's not of works because you'd be out there with a selfie camera on Facebook saying, look, not that people do that. Maybe they do. I'm giving away all my goods to... Um, Turn in your Bibles. uh, Let me show you something in John chapter 19. Let's look at this, John chapter number 19. Hold on, before before you go there, look first at Matthew 5. Let me show you something there real quick uh, where we were. I I just wanna pick up this last part of this verse. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, look at this. Jesus said, in verse 17, think not I'm coming to destroy the law or prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Listen, listen. I am not come to do this, but I have come to do that. Do you see that? I'm not come to take, I'm not come to lead a rebellion. I'm not telling you to start ignoring the, 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 the Pharisees. I'm not telling you to ignore the priest every time jesus healed someone according to the law he said what go show yourself to the priests go do it the right way amen and you know that god's still that way today about the law and we're not even talking about the law uh, of, of the old testament the mosaic law i'm talking about the speed limit just because you're a christian don't mean that you can drive over the speed limit he didn't come to have you lead a rebellion right but we're still called to obey. But even in the old, when he's doing this at the Old Testament, he said, I'm not come, I'm not come to lead the rebellion, but I am come to fulfill. Here's a question for you. If Jesus said he came to do something, do you think he did it? Yes. Honestly, th- this can mess some folks up. This can write some ships that are on the wrong seas. He said, I've come to fulfill it. See, a lot of people, they miss this part. He said, I am come to fulfill. Is that not what it says? I am come to fulfill. Do you think that he left mission not accomplished? Do you think that he would have left the earth? You know, we don't understand how much it cost him to come here. We don't understand the glory Right? Remember John 17, the glory I had with you in the beginning when Jesus talking to the father, give me back that glory I had with you in the beginning because he had to clothe his glory. If he didn't, nobody's eyeballs would be in their sockets when they was around him. You can't see God and live. Right? So he's the fullness of God in flesh. And, and, And so he said, you know, restore to me that glory. But, but, you know, he condescended himself to come here. I mean, think about it. This is the Lord of glory deciding, I'll go down there uh, and be hungry. This is God. God who's never needed nothing. He never had to eat or drink before. He never sweat or perspired. He never, you know, did any of that kind of stuff. And yet he, he came down here to mission accomplish. What is part of the mission right here? I'm not come to lead a rebellion. I've come to nail it to the cross. I've come to fulfill it. So the question is, he's talking, is he not talking about the prophets and the law? Is he talking about those two things? Did he or did he not then? Did he leave mission accomplished or mission unaccomplished? Mission accomplished. And so right there, Right there, before you get into any, anybody trying to bring you back under the, you got to keep the Sabbath, you got to tithe, you got to do this, and you got to do that, before anybody brings you back under all that stuff, look right there. Did he or did he not fulfill what he said he was going to fulfill? Right? Okay. Now, let's go to, to John chapter number 19, verse 30. This is one of the best uh, verses in the Bible, right? Is it not? To that it's one of the best verses in the Bible. It, it, the shortest one is Jesus wept. Probably the greatest one is I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And look at this one. What is he talking about? You, know, you remember whenever he was a young kid, he said his, his parents were looking for him. They had, they had gone on. Now, how do you How do you forget where the angel told you, you know, this is the Messiah? How do you forget him? But they forgot him we don't know, but you know, there was times that he was in a crowd and he could veil himself. Didn't he? They were they even had him on the cliff. They was ready to throw him off and then they couldn't find him. How do you get that? And he told his parents, he said, don't you know I must be about my, my father's business, not my business, my father's business, the plan of the father, the plan of the father, don't you know I must be about it? What is it? You get rid of it right there. Not come. I'm not come to lead a rebellion against the law. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to complete it. I've come to nail that thing down. Amen? And he says in John 19, verse 30. Are you over there? I, I didn't turn in my Bible yet. John 19, verse 30, he said, When Jesus therefore had received the vine- vinegar, he said, Listen, it is finished. It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Last breath. Mission accomplished. Did, you know, whenever we were in the, one of those wars, the president flew that airplane, and he flew on that aircraft carrier, and they had this banner that said, mission accomplished, right? This is God saying mission accomplished. You know, when, and when the president did that, there was still a lot of battle left. He, did, he didn't nail it all down. The enemy wasn't under his feet, but he bruised Satan's head. Come on. Y'all remember Genesis 3, don't you? He, 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 got it. he got that snake's head right under his feet. He said, it's finished. The law, the law, the prophets, and more, right? Our sin, our sin, the sin of the world. And he said right there, it is finished. So when he began as a child, he said, I must be about my father's business. And his last breath before he died, it's finished. It's finished. What is it? The mission. Mission accomplished. So you see in, in, in Matthew 5 17, he said, I'm not come to lead a rebellion. I've come to fulfill something, I've come to complete something, I've come to do something that nobody has ever been able to do. You know why? Because you you've thought a bad thought. That disqualifies you right there. Jesus never did. You probably thought a bad thought tonight. Well, you've done something wrong. Whether it was I've been perfect since I was five. Well, when you was five, you stole some bubble gum. You did something. You thought it. You did it. You something. And and the thing is, is he never did. Not only because he's just the greatest person that ever lived, he's deity in flesh. That's why. His his flesh, his blood is worth more than all the rest of creation. For eternity, everything that's ever been made will worship him. For eternity. We're not just going to give him a standing ovation and then go, what time's dinner? When we see him, we're going to worship him and we're not going to stop because he's worthy. His beauty commands worship. And so you have him completing this mission for us. He ran the race for us. He did the work for us and he nailed the law and all. Why he said the prophets? Because the prophets are those who who prophesied of his coming. I told you, Psalm 22. You got other ones like um, in Psalm, yep, 88, and then you got Isaiah 53. You got all these messianic Psalms all in, in, in prophecies. You got Jeremiah. You've got Micah. You've got all these uh, Zephaniah, Zechariah. You've got prophets that are preaching, Jonah, all of them testifying about Jesus. Even in Genesis, you get them, right? You get, you get the prophecy about Jesus in the judgment on Eve. You're going to have a son. You're going to have to bear. You're going to have a son. But, but, right, then comes the prophecy. So, anyways, you see here that it's finished. What is finished? The law. The law. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Let's let let's uh, follow this vein of, of, of thinking for a little bit. Colossians chapter number 2. Now, if you know me very well, you've heard me say Colossians 2 is what? Meat and potatoes. It's not a salad. You know, if you eat a salad, you're hungry later. You Got to have some protein with that stuff. Colossians 2 is the protein. You want to build some spiritual muscles? You need protein. Colossians 2 is meat and potatoes. So anyways, you go down into, into verse, uh, let's start with, with verse number 13. Uh, let's start with 12. How about that? How about that? It says, we are buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him up from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him? A quicken means to make alive. Has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses? Somebody say all. I love it when y'all talk back. All trespasses, even that thing. Think about that one thing that gives you a hard time that thing we're talking about that thing that's included in all trespasses okay all trespasses listen to verse 14 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross so when you trespassed against god it was because you violated an ordinance of his law when you trespassed against God, whether it was by a thought or by deed or just simply by breathing. How many of y'all felt like that before? When you, when, when you trespassed against God, you violated something, and all of the somethings were nailed to his cross. That's what it says. So when he said it's finished, He wasn't only just talking about him he was talking about what he was here to do he was not only talking about himself like okay I'm done my mission is done part of the mission that all your trespasses would be nailed to his cross all your trespasses nailed to his cross you see Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 it says that we should be looking right And to Jesus, listen, he says, who for the joy that was set before him, right? For the joy that was set before him, what? Endured the cross, despising the shame. That's who he is. The cross is where our shame was purchased. The cross is where our souls were redeemed. And on that old rugged cross, all your trespasses against God were nailed. See, the cross is vicarious. And what we mean by that is it, it is an object of our faith. Jesus, the Bible says, is the object of our faith. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And so even though that what he did on the cross is 2,000 years ago, it is still for every saint of God who desires to be redeemed. Amen. That's where our trespasses are nailed. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that our trespasses be nailed? Well, you remember over there in in, in, in Matthew 5, um, beginning in verse number 19, the Lord started talking about the Pharisees. You remember that in, in, in the, the scribes? And he said, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, right? You won't even enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember that? So here's, here's an interesting thought. Nobody, nobody, nobody can go to heaven unless they're born again. John chapter 3, Nicodemus. Who is Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee, right? He's a Pharisee. Nicodemus comes to him by the night, and Jesus says, no one, no one can even see the kingdom unless they're born again. How do I enter into my mother's womb again, right? You go through that whole thing. He said, I'm not talking about the flesh. You must be born of the water and of the spirit, spiritual spirit born again born from above born of the spirit of god how do you become born again by believing on what jesus did so let's talk about that the the righteous the righteous standard that the pharisees and the sadducees had um, they knew the law they knew the law they actually knew it a little too well they knew how to manipulate it they were the learned people. They were the, you know, back, back now, nowadays, everybody knows how to read and write and things like that. Back then, it wasn't like that. So you had you had your in crowd and your out crowd as far as learning goes. Some of us had common sense, and some of us, you know, learned how to read and write. Those of us that aren't smart, we just say, well, at least I got common sense. I know how to tie a fishing hook. <laughs> And, and so that's where a lot of people found themselves. So they trusted the Sadducees, the Pharisees. They trusted the, the, the lawyers, those that knew the law. They trusted them to tell them what the Bible said, the priests. That's the only way we can know. I can't even read. They couldn't even have a Bible, by the way. You got one in your lap. If, if there was a, 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 a one malfunction on the manuscript, they burned the whole thing. In fact, if they were writing, if one of the scribes were writing the the Bible, and somebody walked in the room, they had to burn the whole thing. It was defiled. This is amazing. So, and, and these people were really strict. You had to wash your hands. You had to wash this. You had to wash that before they wrote any word. They had to write in. The, and every word had a new pen, new ink. I mean, just meticulously clean and and righteous standard way up here. But you know what? Even their righteousness, even their righteousness wasn't good enough. Because he didn't say they're in the kingdom. He said, you got to leapfrog them. You got to leapfrog. You got to exceed their righteous standard. So, that tells you if you listen astutely, if you, were, if you were there on the Sermon on the Mount and you're listening to Jesus, that tells you astutely, okay, so they're not even good enough? So I'm gonna have to get somehow above them and they know all the rules. How do I do it? I must need a savior. I must need a Messiah, right? So let's look at, let's look at Romans chapter three and let's look at that. It coming from, from that side of it, Romans Chapter number three. <clears throat> Ooh, it's good stuff too. It, it is good stuff. It's too much, but it's good. So Romans chapter number three, let's start with verse number nine. He says, "What then? Are we better than they?" no in no wise for we have before proved that both somebody say both thank you we have before proved both jews and gentiles that they are all under sin as it is written there is none righteous no not one that means that even the best of the best of the best Pharisees is not righteous enough in God's eyes. The the way that we explain it whenever we're soul witnessing is, is that God's so holy, you can't get to him. God is so holy, so beautiful, so pure that you could never get there. You can't. First off, because you're a created being. Secondly, because you have a sin nature. You, you you can't help it. You've got a sin nature. You keep tripping over your own shoes. Keep tripping over your own feet. You lose your temper. You, you, you do something. You do this. And, and he said, God is so holy that if you had one strike against you, you couldn't get there. And how many? I don't want to, let's not count, but I'm sure everybody's got more than one strike against them. Amen. But but he said that he, he said, you got to even leapfrog the Pharisees and the scribes. You, you've you got to go way up there. But here he's telling you there's none righteous. None righteous, no, not one. There is none that understand it. There is none that seek after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are to, together Become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not even Aunt Susie. But she—if there was ever a saint, she was. There's none righteous. No, not one. Now, look at verse number 19. Just con- you can just follow that down later. Verse number 19. Now we know that what thing soever the law said. It said to them who were under the law that every mouth may be stopped. Well, I've never done, I've never done, and I've never done this, and I've never done that. That just shows you don't know the law. Because the law is there to shut your mouth. I I observe the Sabbath. I I don't eat pork. I don't do that. That just shows right there you don't know the law. Because the law is there to shut your mouth, because you can't keep all six hundred and thirteen. It shows you're bragging on what you want to brag on, and you're not bragging on. Well, we all know, right? Because there's none righteous. So, so the law is there to shut. It says that every mouth may be stopped, and that all, all the world may become. Guilty. Guilty before God. The law is there to bring guilt on the world. Why does the law come? To bring guilt. That the whole world would stand guilty. That's why it's there. But I've never done this, and I, but you've done something. And if you've done something, you're just as guilty as anyone else. Y'all know over in James chapter two it says that that if, if you, uh, somebody keeps um, all the law, but they they fell in one area, what they broken them all right? See the law is like a a a a, uh, a window right? That's what it's just a great analogy. The the law is like a window, and you can kind of think in your mind about window panes. There's a zero, a one, two, three, all the way to ten, right? Ten would be murder. Nine right all the way down to stealing bubblegum, which would be you know a zero in our eyes Oh, they just stole bubblegum or a white lie. It's just a white lie It's just a white lie You throw a rock Don't matter if you hit a zero a one a two or a ten you broke the window It don't matter which number you hit on the scale You broke the window So even if it was a white liar stealing bubblegum, you still launched a rock through the window and the Bible says the law's there, the law's a window. The law's a window, and you can't stop knocking holes in it. The whole world is, stands guilty before God. Guilty. So what are we to do? What is a world to do when a world figures out, I'm guilty? I'm guilty. This is the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to show you your need for God. The law is perfect for the converting of the soul. The the law is there to reveal and show you exactly where you are. Now, how many of y'all have some friends that lie to you? Oh, yeah, you need that new car, right? Oh, yeah, you, you need to do that. Don't you let him tell you that. You go do this. You know, a lot of times those kind of friends tell you the wrong stuff. They tell you what your flesh wanted to hear. The law, the law don't lie to you. The law cuts through all that mess, and the law reveals your heart. The law reveals exactly where you are. It reveals exactly who you are. It reveals what you've done and that you're guilty before God. That's what the law does, right? So what's a world to do when it's been showed to be guilty before God? Great, great answer right there in the word. Continuing in the next verse, twenty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, is that that's what Jesus said? He came to. Jesus said in Matthew five seventeen. He said, "I'm not come to destroy the law, but I've come to." He came to what? Did he leave with the mission accomplished or unaccomplished? Mission accomplished. Okay. So that same thing that Jesus said he came to fulfill. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Nobody can say, I did this and I never did that. Therefore, I'm thumbs up in God's eyes. That means you don't know the Bible. The only thumbs up you get is when you go to the cross empty handed. That's the only thumbs up you get. That's what God smiles on. Only one person, only one person did God ever look down from heaven and say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if you will honor what Jesus did at Calvary and you walk faithfully before him, empowered by his spirit, one day he will in turn say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. But only one person, only one person, well-pleased God, that's Jesus. So when, when the, so by the law, nobody can be justified. That's what it says, right? right? By the deeds of the law, no flesh is justified. Justification is the ladder to get to a righteous standard with God. Did you hear that? Justification is a spiritual ladder to gain righteous standard with God. You, you have to be justified before you can be made righteous. The only way you can go to heaven is if you've been made righteous. Righteousness means that you're, you can stand in glory. You've got to be justified first. And so nobody can gain this justification, the spiritual ladder, through working the law. But, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, or it is now appeared, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Is that not what Jesus said he came to fulfill? Amen. That is exactly what he said he came to fulfill. The, the law and the prophets testify, amen, that there's gonna be a Messiah. Testified, uh, witnessed by the law and the prophets, even, with that word in the King James, it means specifically, even, The righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We'll stop right there. So the only way that any person can be justified in God's eyes is by leaning on, trusting in, believing on, clinging on, relying on, putting faith in what Jesus did on the cross, that he died for our sins. God, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, died for our sins on the cross and he rose bodily the third day. You ever want to know what the gospel is? Go look at what Peter preached to Cornelius' house. Go look at what what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in in 1 Corinthians 15. It's simple. God died on the cross for our sins and he rose the third day. And all those in Cornelius' house got... Got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God hit them right there when they was listening. So the the gospel message is not what you've done. That's the bad news. When you look at what you've done as good news, you don't know nothing. What you've done is the bad part because what you've done is not good enough. But what he did is perfect and beautiful And it is what God honors, what Jesus did, all of creation. That's that's why we call him the lamb that was slain from the foundation, the lamb of God. That's what that's for. That's why whenever God instituted the Passover, that's why. Because God was testifying, you aren't good enough and you need some innocent blood to help you out. And all, I mean, everything that God did in the Old Testament was a testifying of who Jesus would be. From the Passover lamb to the Sabbath to, to, you know, you look at all the, the seven feasts of Israel, every single thing that God had them do testified about Jesus. And some people try to get you to go back under what Jesus fulfilled. Let's go to, um, let's go to Galatians chapter number two. Galatians chapter number two. I'm going to try to get it real quick. Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter number two. So we're talking about righteousness. We're just going to button up righteousness real quick, and then we're going to move to the law. Because we're, we're still dealing with the righteous standard of the scribes and Pharisees. You have to exceed it, and we just showed you no one can, right? So we're just going to finish this up. Um, let's go to verse number 19. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. You see... You, you're, if you are a religious folk, you're either going to live to the law or you're going to live to God. If you live to God, you won't be breaking any law. But it's the, object, it's the object of your affection and the object of your faith that makes all the difference. See, if, if, God, if, if God is who you live for, God will empower you to live for him. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, don't miss this last verse. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What does that mean? That means that if there was any possible way for someone to work the ladder of the law and to justify themselves and be deemed righteous in God's eyes, then Jesus would have died in vain. That's what that means. That tells you right there that it is not the law that brings righteousness into your life it's your faith. The amazing thing about right faith is God gives you a right spirit with it and a right heart. You see, a, 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 someone who doesn't get it, someone who's only mentally assented to it when their heart's not changed and they don't have a new spirit, they're going to try to get away with murder and call grace, grace, grace. We call that sloppy agape. The, the the It's that er, erroneous grace teaching which that's a whole nother movement that's a whole nother false teaching thing in our church world, which we should touch on however it this also it kind of goes into the same thing that we talked about with the word of faith is you know if you if you if you put Jesus in hell and you say he he died as a sinner. And he died spiritually and he took on Satan's nature and he had to go to hell and burn for three days and suffer at the hands of a devil who's not been thrown in hell yet. But if he had to go down there and you put him down there, you put him down there, he's lost, he's all this, how does he get out? How does he get out? How does he get born again? Because he doesn't have a Jesus to believe on. So, does he work himself out? D- does he work himself out? That's what they say. God just looked down and said, Oh, he suffered for three days. It is enough, quote unquote. It's not possible. This verse tells you that if it were possible for you to work righteousness, Christ died on the cross in vain. That means, listen, that if he went, because what? what they'll say is he just went down there he was just a man down there he was no longer God he had the he had satan's nature now he's just a man in hell burning first look if that's true anybody else could have done it and if you think i'm lying i've got audio where they say those exact words you mean god i could have done the same yes you could have done the same thing that that tells you that he he would have died in vain on the cross because anybody could have done it. What purpose would there have needed for God to condescend to earth and die on the cross for our sins if anybody could have suffered for three days in hell and if they would have done it like they was riding a bull, they finished it, God said, okay, you did enough. Then then there's no need for the cross. Then there's no need for the cross. That's blasphemy. And what Paul says here is Christ would have died in vain. You've touched on the untouchable when you start talking like that. That's why I get worked up about it. You you touch on the untouchable because you're 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 saying the cross is of nothing. Anybody could have done it. And that's exactly what people say. It's blasphemy. So anyways, he says here that if, 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 if it were possible, if you could, if righteousness could come by the law, what he means by is working. Well, I've rested every Sabbath for 17 years, but you lie every day. So here's the thing, if righteousness could come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain, right? Amen. He's dead in vain. Now, I've got five more minutes. <laughs> Good. Okay, go, go to uh, Galatians 3, verse 17. Galatians 3, verse 17. Let me just get in this real quick, and, and, and it's gonna actually kind of open up a, a, a little bit deeper for you. So Galatians chapter three, verse 17, what we're looking at it, it, in the end of Galatians three and all, all of Galatians four, you, you need to read this after we're done. It, it, it's all a picture of what we're about to get into. Just, this is the difference between Hagar and Sarah, as you'll see later. This, this is the difference between the two. Jesus came to, to bring in the promise to Sarah. How many of y'all remember um, who came first, Sarah or Hagar? Sarah came first, and then who? Hagar. Hagar. But whose son came first? Hagar. And then what came, after, what came after Ishmael? Then the promised seed. Come on now. Then the promised seed came in. And when the promised seed came in, Sarah said, that other one's got to go. We, we can't have both in one house. One's got to go. So, so Sarah looked at Hagar and said, bye. And if you're trying to gain righteousness by the Sabbath, you're still living under Hagar or by your not eating pork or by your this or by your that or by whatever. Now, verse 17, this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. What that's saying is, God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham, but then God gave the law to Moses 430 years later. And he is saying that the law that came second cannot disannul the promise that God made to Abraham. You, you can't disannul it. In the same way, in the same way that Ishmael did not disannul the promise of Isaac. You see that? Because see, it, it would have been the same way as God saying, oh, you did it your way, you got an Ishmael, fine. no. God promised a seed to you and Sarah. Isaac's coming. You just got ahead of yourself. You got outside of bounds. You brought in an Ishmael. And by by Israel's rebellion, they brought in the law. That's what the Bible says it came because of their rebellion. You'll see. But the promise to Abraham's still coming. Isaac's still coming. Jesus is still coming. So, look, it says 430 years later, the law, it cannot disannul that it should make the promise in none effect. Verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, that's from Moses, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore, then, serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions. You see that? Why? Why did Ishmael come? Because Abraham had a transgression. Abraham was getting ahead of God. Why did the law come? Because Israel was getting ahead of God. They kept rebelling. They kept messing up. It says because of transgression. Till, somebody say till. Till Till the seed. Till the seed should come whom the promise was made. Who do you think the seed is? Who do you think the seed? So the law is there till who comes? Till Jesus comes. Because Jesus is going to nail it to his cross. Till the seed, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. In other words, God is one, right? There's only one God. And the only way you're going to mediate something with God is if God mediates it. That's why Jesus is our mediator. You think on it. Now, we... uh, Let me me keep going, just a few more verses, and then we'll close. Um, Is... Is the law then against the promise of God God forbid for if there had been a law given which could have given life verily righteousness should have been by the law but the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ be given to them that believe but before faith came we were kept under the law shut up under the faith which should afterward be revealed last two verses Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that after we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now, all that to say this you can't have both. You must choose whom you serve. Now, Let me give you a a point of reference if you go over to Psalm 89 if you'll go over to Psalm 89 one of the things in there it, it said that the promise would be to the seed right the promise would be to the seed did you catch that the promise would be to the seed over there in Psalm 89 there's a covenant a covenant that God makes with the Messiah Okay, so if you're interested in that, you can go over there and look. There are some beautiful promises, and you'll see a a covenant that God is making with the Messiah. It's very beautiful stuff, and there's some more in there. Now, we didn't get to to go all the way um, because there's some things that I wanted to get into, uh, like the priesthood of Melchizedek and the priesthood of the Levites, And when you change priests, you have to also change law. So I didn't get to get into that. Um, You can find that in Hebrews chapter uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Okay, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Or just read the whole thing. Um, And then Psalm 89 is good stuff. Psalm 110, if you start studying about Melchizedek, there's where your prophecy is. Uh, Psalm 110, I believe it's verse 4, you'll see that Messiah was going to come and bring in a new priesthood, which is after the order of Melchizedek. Why is that important? Why is it important that the Messiah would be after the order of Melchizedek as a priest? Why is it important that Jesus was not a Levite? Because Melchizedek was before the law. Just, it just marries up so well with what he said. He said that the law cannot disannul the promise that God made to Abraham 430 years before. Abraham honored a priest named Melchizedek, same time. And so Jesus fulfilling that promise as Melchizedek is showing that same priesthood of the promise, not the priest of the law. Big difference, big, big implications in there. So Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10, Psalm 110, verse 4, I believe, and then Psalm 89 is where your covenant is. Amen? All right. Time.